0: Man, I I loved the last four weeks that we shared together, the conversations we had, um, were needed conversations, and and so just as a, a point before we even roll in to the message today, um, while we're progressing here in our time together, um, those conversations need not stay in September, right? And those conversations need to continue to happen amongst our family and our friends, those we care about, um, in our workplaces at times, um. Those conversations are ones that are ongoing, um, but so is the story of God and the message that he has for his people. And, and so the other thing that I have, you know, I, I get the opportunity to come and preach um, every five weeks or so on average here. Um, Stephen does it, you know, the other four. Um, and uh, something I've learned over the last two years now that I've been doing this vocationally as a, as a job is that to come here to be before you in this setting um, isn't just me putting together a lot of head knowledge and information and data and regurgitating it to you like some college lecturer. Um, In fact, what happens as I sit and I prepare for this is um, before the word even comes to you all, um, the Spirit has been working in me and tilling ground and moving things. And, And this week I really felt a tilling of my own life and, and direction and focus. and um, God was working in me throughout the week as I prepared to come before you. Um, so I know it's easy sometimes because I've, I've been a, a parishioner and sitting and listening to the pastor and thinking, well, that's the guy that's telling us what to do. Um, but that's not the case. Um, at least not when it's authentic and it's true and the Spirit's moving through it. In fact, the Spirit directs all of us in this conversation. We we journey together. Um, so this isn't my message or my words. Um, I pray it's the Lord's words for you um, and for me, um, as he's already directed me and guided me through this process and um, through our time together. Um, so some of the scriptures we'll be looking at today, you can Turn your Bible there if you've got the, your own Bible or your pew Bible or, or tablet or phone or whatever you've got on you. Um, primarily, we're going to be sitting in Luke chapter 17, though. So if you want to turn there, um, we'll reference the other ones, and they'll be on the, the PowerPoint, um, those other passages. But if you want to turn to Luke chapter 17, the Gospel of Luke, um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, third book of the New Testament, of course. And, and uh, you know, I, I always say when people ask me who your favorite um, gospel writer is, I always tell him it's Matthew because he's got the best name. <laughs> Which is true. I mean, it's, it's, that's not even like a questionable thing. That's, that's just a matter of fact. But, uh, but the thing about the gospels is so interesting to me As as I continue to grow and I continue to read and learn from the gospels is that I'm continuing to learn stuff by sitting and comparing the gospels. You know, one, one will talk about the same story as the other, but they, they illuminate other things. And so when you study and you read the Bible and you're, you're looking at the gospel messages, there's sometimes this benefit um, to digging into it a little bit and saying, what else was going on with the person who wrote this book? What, what, is, what are they bringing to the table? What was their job? What was their profession? What kind of expertise do they have in presenting this story? And who are they speaking to? Um, and so this is, this is some of that, that uh, educational work that we talk about. But why I say this is that Luke illuminates things in a way for me personally that begin to highlight my understanding, like my, my, my brain connects with it, I guess is the best way to say it. Now, the way he thinks about and he analyzes things and he has conversations about things, my brain connects with it. And, and so um, Luke 17 Um, really stood out to me this week um, as we went through it. And so um, I invite you to read along with me if you've got your Bible there, starting in verse 1 of Luke 17. Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to sin are bound to come, but woe to that person through whom they come. It would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around his neck than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. So watch yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, You can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking over the sheep. Would he say to the servant when he came in from the field, come along now and sit down and eat? Would he not rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. There's a lot of stuff going on in this ten verses we read here. Jesus is having an in-depth conversation. He's trying to illuminate things about their lives. and, And it's important to understand, too, where they were coming from. Jesus has been on a journey. To Jerusalem. He's been walking with the disciples, and along the way, he's continued to have stories and share things about the kingdom of God, about this, this kingdom that Jesus was ushering in that the Jewish people thought was going to look one way, and Jesus subtly and gracefully and compassionately illustrated, it's not quite what you think it is. There's something different here. I'm not bringing what you think I'm bringing And the Pharisees had come along several times, as they did, and tried to either trick Jesus into saying something that they could convict him for, or out of genuine curiosity, they just said, what on earth is this guy talking about? And they asked questions all the time. And so this story in Luke 17 actually comes right after one of these encounters with the Pharisees where they had come to Jesus and his disciples and they began to question him. And Jesus had gone on from here and he told stories, probably some familiar stories to many of us in this room. The story of the lost sheep or the parable of the lost coin or perhaps the parable of the lost son, also known as the prodigal, who came back home. And so Jesus had shared these stories to illustrate things about the kingdom of God. And so now we come here where he's turned from the Pharisees and he's talking now to his disciples. This is what I need you to know. This is what I need you to understand about what you are being called to do and who you are being called to be. Jesus is saying, "This is what I'm offering you is, is not something you can comprehend fully. This is beyond your power to contain. This is this is life. This is freedom. This is something that is transformational. So the first five verses set up this powerful warning about the weight of their responsibility. Better, if you cause somebody to sin, it's better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and be thrown into the sea. That's challenging. That's convicting. So of course the disciples would say, well, How do we have more faith then? How do we not have that happen? How do we remain faithful to you? I love that we sang, well, Sandy played this song and and we began to sing it. um, Those of us who are familiar with the tune, Great is Thy Faithfulness. We are allowed to be faithful to God because God has the potential to complete all faith giving to him. I know that's a weird way to say it, but, but God contains all the faithfulness in response to our faith. God is 100% able to complete and fulfill every bit of faith that's given to him. Put another way, if somebody puts all of their faith in me to fix their car when it won't start, they're probably not going to be moving anywhere with that vehicle. <laughs> Sorry to say. Now, if they put their faith in me to tell them about why DC Comics is better than Marvel Comics, I can go all day long. You're welcome. I've got to make my reference. Every time, I've got to make my reference. There's no other superhero references in here, so. Um, God is able to be faithful no matter what faith you put in him. And so, the disciples asked the question, how do we increase our faith? And you know what's interesting about this and what's so good about this is that perhaps, maybe if you're being honest with yourself, you too at times in your life have asked that question, how do I be faithful here? When life gets hard and and challenging, how do I remain faithful here? And the disciples weren't wrong for asking this question. This wasn't a lapse of faith that made them ask the question. They were right to ask the person whom they asked the question of. Because Jesus had the answer to that question. It wasn't just a haphazard uh, request. Verses 5 and 6 again. The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. And he replied, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea. And it will obey you. You know, this isn't the first time either that Jesus has talked about a mustard seed. Even in the Gospel of Luke, we have another story where Jesus references the mustard seed. There's the mustard seed right there. There's a picture for it. You see it up there on that guy's finger? Right there. If you've never seen a mustard seed before, there it is. Tiny, tiny little thing. That's not a lot of faith smaller than the size of your finger. That's not a lot of faith. Luke chapter 13, verses 18 and 9, Jesus references the mustard seed before, while they were journeying. So before they got here, as they had been walking to Jerusalem, Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed. Weird. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, which a man took... And planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. So the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. The kingdom that's supposed to reestablish Israel, who are living under Roman rule, the kingdom that was supposed to reign and free them from their captivity, is like a mustard seed. Small, insignificant, easily lost. What a weird analogy for Jesus to make. That's a picture right there of a mulberry tree. Most likely, Jesus had been talking to the disciples here in Luke 17, and he'd seen the tree and he'd kind of positioned himself right by it and he kind of maybe sat down and he began to talk like the scripture we just read and as he's saying if you have faith as small as a mustard seed you can say to this tree as they begin to take in the size and the the mass of it look at the size of that tree you could say to this tree be uprooted and be planted in the sea I think of it this way. If a mustard seed was a shovel, and the shovel was the size of a mustard seed, you're never digging that tree out of the ground. You're never getting, you could spend your whole life digging, and you will never move enough ground to get that tree uprooted. But Jesus is talking about something so much bigger than that. Some of your translations, depending on what translation you're using for your Bible, might not refer to it as a mulberry tree, but they might call it a sycamine tree, which is a uh, mulberry tree, essentially, as you translate it, Um, produces a darker fruit on it. Um, But what's so interesting about this, and, and here we go back to that conversation about understanding the authors, Luke, who is a doctor, would understand that the mulberry was a fruit that was known for its medicinal purposes, it brought life to people. It allowed them to live healthy and vibrant lives. The mulberry. So there's something about this tree that's important. It's not just a big tree that Jesus happened to be sitting by. Jesus knew this is the tree I need to use in my illustration because there's something else here. There's something bigger than just what the eye sees. The tree that gives life. And if the feat wasn't extraordinary enough to ask and assume that our faith so small as a mustard seed can move that tree from here to anywhere else, Jesus says, no, we're, we're not just going to plant it in other ground. We're going to plant it in water, in a sea. And so this, this is where my mind began to go, and I, I began to think, well, Interesting as that is, Jesus is probably talking about the Sea of Galilee, right? Um, That's usually what Jesus seemed to refer to the most. Being a boy from Nazareth, the Sea of Galilee was real close by. And and this is really hard to see because it's a small picture. Um, But that blue body of water up at the top of the picture would be the Sea of Galilee. Off to the right-hand side of it would be the Mediterranean Sea. And then the bigger body of water on the bottom, right down that river line from the Sea of Galilee, would be the Dead Sea. And so as Jesus often talked about sea and referred to the sea in the Gospel of Luke specifically, Jesus is often referring to the Sea of Galilee. That's the sea he was familiar with. That's the sea he knew. And Luke would write in its original Greek the word for sea there. I'm not going to bore you with it or try to pronounce it incorrectly. Um, But the word for sea there, Luke would, would always refer to the Sea of Galilee with the same word. But in this instance, when Jesus says the word sea, Luke uses a different word, a different Greek word for sea. Now, it stands to reason that perhaps, maybe, Jesus was talking about the Mediterranean Sea off the coast there. Probably not, though, because that was a long ways away from Jerusalem. More likely, the sea that Jesus was referring to is the Dead Sea. So Jesus is saying, faith as small as a mustard seed, your faith as small as a mustard seed, can take a tree that gives life, pick it up from its roots, plant it in a sea that is full of death, and produce life. Jesus can take your faith so small, so insignificant, that it's the size of a mustard seed, That he can take life, or he can take death and bring life out of it. As the tree comes up through the water, life literally comes up out of the water, out of death comes water. And we know that a tree could not grow in salt water. Literally an impossible task is what Jesus says our faith can do. even the smallest of faith. So while Jesus most of the time referred to the Sea of Galilee, it makes more sense and stands to reason that Jesus was referring to the Dead Sea here. Which made me think of something really significant. And, and go with me here for a second. Our faith produces freedom in us. Now, I know for a lot of us, when we think about faith and freedom, our mind immediately goes to salvation. It goes to heaven. It goes to the thing that is to come at the end of time. And Jesus certainly talked about heaven. And he talked about the importance of our faith and belief in heaven and that he was going there. He's preparing a place for us and and he wants us to come be there with him. But Jesus spent so much time talking about the freedom that exists in our lives today as a result of our faith. Freedom isn't just about a promise of freedom in the future. Freedom has to happen today. Or it's not freedom. It's the promise of freedom. Freedom. And Jesus doesn't offer the promise of freedom. He offers freedom by faith. A little bit of faith produces freedom, and life can grow out of death. Faith is a tricky thing, though, isn't it? I mean, the disciples, we saw that here. They had this conversation with Jesus. How, Jesus, how do, you, how do we increase our faith? How do we grow and be more faithful? Like, there's not, there's not a how-to guide. I can't Google this. How do I have more faith? Like, it's, it's not something that can be done to me. It just has to happen. Like, I can't, I can't read enough books to have faith. Faith doesn't come from my reading my books. Faith doesn't even come all the time necessarily from reading your Bible. Reading your Bible is good. It's important. It helps us understand God and know God. But it doesn't just transfer faith to us. You can know every word in this book and have no faith at all. Faith comes from the Spirit working in us, living in us, moving in us, our attention to it, and doing the hard work. Trusting in God, even in the hardest of circumstances. I, I think back to last week when we talked about resiliency and courage. And we talked about how courage is not the absence of fear, but it's continuing to do what you're supposed to do in spite of the fear. Fear still exists, but we still move forward. Doubt still exists, but we can still have faith. Questions still exist. We don't have it all figured out. The disciples said to Jesus, increase our faith, meaning we don't have enough. That was a, a, a moment of, of confession there for them. We don't have enough faith to do this, Jesus. We believe in you, absolutely, but like we're, we're not, we're lacking. We're missing something here. And Jesus says, I'll take what you have because what you have is Enough. And as you grow and as you continue more and more can happen. It's the direction of it our faithfulness as we move towards God. The other thing about faith that the disciples were getting at here is is that if faith produces freedom if it's our belief and our trust in God that produces freedom then we can't manufacture that freedom some other way. We can't achieve it or earn it or create it. It has to come about through faith. This is what he's getting at there in those last few verses. Really weird verses. So, so keep in mind here, as, as you look at like verses 6 through 10, there's that interaction about uh, slavery there. Um, So keep in mind and and remember the time and place of this conversation. Jesus is not condoning slavery here by using it as an illustration. Um, In fact, in that time, in that era, slavery as it existed, which is different than it existed even in our modern American history, slavery as it existed was almost unquestioned as a system. There weren't people who were protesting slavery. It It was part of society. This is just how life works. And Jesus, I believe, still didn't believe that slavery was the ideal. We're not meant to live that way, but he used it as an illustration because this is the world that the people understood. They understood this system. They understood this language because this is the world that they lived in. And so Jesus is communicating something about freedom, even for the slave in this story when he says that they wouldn't... uh, that they wouldn't let the slave eat first. Let's look at that again here. After verse 6, it says, Be uprooted, plant in the sea. Verse 7 says, Suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along and sit down to eat? Would he not rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Now, for those of us who have a relationship with Jesus already, and we've, we've spent some time maybe studying uh, the Gospels and Jesus' narratives and stuff like that, we expect Jesus here to say, let the slave come in and eat first, right? That's, that's the, the process of that upside-down kingdom of God, that the slave eats first, first is last, and the last is, is first, um, and Jesus did this, illustrated this all the time about this flipping of narratives. But in this story, in this illustration, Jesus decides to say, this is the system of the world we live in. This is the brokenness of the world we live in. It says you would not let the servant eat first after they've been working all day. No, you, you would have them prepare your, fee, your food. And then after you're done and you're satisfied and you've, you've fulfilled your Uh, need to eat and consume food, now you'll allow them to take some time to eat their own food. Verse 10, so you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Faith moves us to freedom. Freedom. And God comes to us no matter where we are, no matter what system has encapsulated us, and He allows us to see something different. We cannot earn God's favor, we've only done our duty. This is the obligation of where I am. I've only done what I had to do up to this point. But the beauty of faith and a God who is faithful is that although we have only done our duty and we cannot do more than our duty and cannot go beyond our duty in being faithful to God, God still offers us life. for our faith as small as a mustard seed. God still offers us freedom for our faith in him that might seem small and insignificant, but it's vastly, vastly important. We can't at best hope to do what we've been asked to do. As, as people in general, even removing faith out of it. I mean, there's times in our lives where we're so busy, and, and I know some people in here are probably overachievers, and you always like to set a bar, and you always like to go over the bar, and, and that's great. Um, but there's times in our lives where the best we can kind of hope for is to do what we've been asked to do. You know, as a dad of two kids, um, there's a lot of times where my life is about meeting the requirements. Like, I'm so busy, and there's so much to do, and there's so many things competing for my attention and my devotion, and my time, that I'm saying I had a pretty good week if I got just what I needed to do. Like, like going beyond that isn't even something that I've prepared to even try to do, because I know I, I just can't, I can't go there. And so, at times, I feel this sense of, like, I'm either, I'm either not a good chaplain because I'm not spending enough time with the, the army guys, or, or I'm not a, a very good pastor because I'm not spending enough time doing my ministry stuff, or I'm not a good dad because I'm not spending enough time with my boys. And there's times when I feel this sense of like, I'm just not enough. Right? I'm probably the only one who's felt that way, though, in this room. You guys probably all feel pretty good about the things you do, so that's great. Um, but just as a, as a confession for myself, there's times when I feel like, man, I'm, I'm just not enough. I don't have what it takes. I'm not cut out for it. There are so many people who are better at this than me. I mean, I watch people balance the same things that I do all the time. They, they don't seem to have any issue with it. But yet me, I, I just, I can't seem to ever find enough time. Even when we've only done our duty. God is faithful and gracious and loving and abundant. And he pours it all out on us. Because that's who he is. Because God never suffers from inadequacy or a shortage of time or a shortage of energy. God always has more than enough to give, and he continues to give it, and 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 give it. Even though we can't earn it, God gives it, and it's absolutely free. Just by the virtue of our faith, that tiny little mustard seed, that doesn't mean you've got everything figured out about God. That doesn't mean you understand all the doctrines doesn't mean you can quote half the Bible or even know where to find the book of Nehemiah. It means you believe just a little bit. Just enough. Say, I'm putting my faith in there. I'm putting my trust in there. I'm believing that that much must be true. And I'm committing to continuing to ask Jesus to help me increase my faith, like the disciples did. The disciples at this point had already confessed, Jesus, you're the Messiah. You're the Son of the living God. They'd already confessed who he was. But that didn't mean they understood everything yet. They still didn't really understand that he had to die. They still didn't really understand how he was going to come back. And we see stories even after Jesus had come back to life where the disciples were still grappling and wrestling with this idea of what, what does this mean? What does this look like? How are we supposed to continue now? Because now Jesus has come back to life. You can read about this in Acts, 2, Acts 1 and Acts 2. Jesus has now come back to life, and he's walking with us again. For 40 days, Jesus was on earth walking with the disciples, teaching the disciples. And then he says, I'm going, I'm going up to heaven now but don't worry guys don't worry because I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit Holy Spirit being fully God just as Jesus was fully God just as God the Father was fully God and he says the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you That's it's going to give you freedom it's going to allow you to live your life more like you were supposed to live your life in the first place It's going to begin to restore God's image that was implanted in each one of us at the beginning of time. Beginning of creation, I should say. As God made us. The Holy Spirit coming upon us, giving us life. So we're saved by faith to be freed from slavery. The slavery of others, Slavery you put yourself in, the slavery to sin and death. Faith so small that it can take a tree, that gives life, planted in a sea that is full of death, and it would grow. Titus chapter three verse five, you can see it on the screens here, says he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. We couldn't do more. We had only done our obligation. Only what was required, and yet he gave abundantly. Ephesians 2, 8-9, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from, our, from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. God gave it. He owns it. It's his. We just get to bask in it. Romans 5, 1-2. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace, for which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Freedom looks like peace. I don't know about you, but in my life I need a little bit more peace sometimes. Freedom looks like peace. Our faith produces freedom and peace through the power of the Holy Spirit. God's work in us, allowing us to be changed. I want to read a little bit more out of Romans 5 here. I've got the last verse up there, but I want to read the, a few verses leading up to it here. Romans 5, starting in verse 6. It says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Sea of death. Sometimes our lives feel like a sea of death. Things just never seem to go the right way. I know that's a, that's a grim way of looking at it, but that's the reality sometimes, isn't it? Our life looks like a sea of death sometimes. And there's nothing good that can come out of that. It's not even good to drink. The water is useless for us. It's just death. But our faith, even so small as a mustard seed, can bring life out of death. The, the thing about this is, is that we do hope in heaven. This, this produces life and freedom for us today, but we do hope in heaven. And why that's important is because at this place, in this time, that doesn't mean that the death disappears but life comes out of that. And it doesn't mean that that everything in life is joyful and wonderful and and amazing all the time because you had just a little bit of faith in God. No, life still has bumps and bruises and and heartaches because we're not completely healed yet. We're not completely whole yet. But because we have faith, death does not have the final say. Life does. And that life begins today. Today. That life doesn't wait for us. That life starts now, through the Holy Spirit. Like I said, the disciples were right to ask the question, of whom they asked the question. Lord, increase in us our faith. How do we increase our faith? You might have had a multitude of, of different experiences and journeys with God over your lifetime. For some people, they latch on to this idea of faith in, in their early years and they say, yeah, I'm committed to this and I'm, I'm going with it and I love God and, and I'm going to trust in God for my life and then life gets crazy and things don't go the way you kind of thought they were going to go. And so you kind of begin to peel back a little bit on that whole faith in God thing. Because it's not really panning out the way you thought it was going to. And for others, you've just never made that that commitment. You've said, I, I, don't, want, I don't want anything to do with that. I mean, that's... It's great, great for some people, but that's, it's not for me, you know, um, this, this faith thing and, and something else that I can't see or feel or touch or experience. Like, how do, I, how do I believe in something like that? But our faith really has the potential to transform and change your life And as a result, transform and change the lives of people around you. Can you imagine? Just go there for a second. Living in the first century. Well-known sea. It's full of salt. Nothing grows in there. It's called the Dead Sea. Can you imagine coming out one day to go, and you look over across by where the sea is, and all of a sudden there's a tree sticking up out of the middle of it? How perplexed would you be? How, how confused at, at what's going on? And so you then begin to ask questions. You, you begin to ask your neighbors and your friends. You say, hey, did you see the tree over there in the, in the Dead Sea? What's going on with that? Life's not supposed to be happening there. There's no reason for life to be growing there. It's supposed to be dead. Jesus is very, very specific and careful with his illustrations. Very purposeful. And the tree imagery comes up all throughout Scripture. A tree standing out, a tree that gives life, standing in the middle of death, speaks volume. And, and I wasn't, I wasn't even going to talk about this, but I'm going to share it anyway because I, I believe that this is, this is powerful in that regard. Um, I don't know um, how much you've seen on the news or you've seen video clips or stuff like that, but um, a year ago, a um, police officer in Texas, um, you might be familiar with the story already, police officer in Texas had come home after a double shift, um, had walked into her apartment complex and into what she thought was her apartment. Turns out she was on the floor above her apartment. Um, So she walked into the room of somebody else's apartment, saw a man sitting on the couch eating ice cream, and thought he was burglaring her, and shot him and killed him. She was just sentenced um, this last week to 10 years in prison. Um, And there is connotations of, of a race thing here. Um, the man who was killed was black and the police officer was white. Um, And that's not the point of it, but the point is to say and illustrate that during the testimony, the brother of the victim who was killed said, I think that the best thing that she could do is to give her life over to Christ. Christ. And I can't imagine how he said it or where it came from other than I know and I trust in the Holy Spirit. But he said, I can't speak for my family. But he looked at her and he said, I I forgive you. That's strangeness. That makes no sense. That's certainly not how I would want to respond if it were my brother. He finished his testimony and he asked the judge, He said, like, I don't know if this is okay or not. And you could find this video online um, and bring your tissues with you because um, I bawled. Um, he said, I don't know if this is possible, but can I, can I hug her? They got up and they hugged. They embraced. And she was sentenced and she's going to do 10 years in prison um, as a result of what happened. But that moment of life out of death, a faith that produces freedom. Now you might be saying, well, she's not free. She's behind bars. Well, yes. But her spirit can be freed. Even in the midst of the pressures of the world and the systems that weave in place to create a civilized society, God produces life out of death. And that story is a picture of that. That young man offered life in exchange for the death of his brother. That's what the kingdom of God is about. That's what our lives are about. So we go from here and we plant ourselves in places of death and decay and suffering. Maybe it's in our own lives. Maybe it's in the lives of our friends or our family or a co-worker, whoever it is. We get involved in the grossness of life. We plant a tree that says, this is where life is. Life can grow out of your death. And I know where you can find it. This is what Jesus was challenging the disciples with. This was a commissioning moment before the Great Commission. He said, you need to plant yourselves in places of death so that people know that there's life. People know that there's freedom. Maybe for some of you today, and we're we're wrapping up here, but um, for somebody in this room today, you haven't taken that first mustard seed faith moment of trust and hope in God, trust and hope in Jesus, who we read about his death and life and resurrection. And maybe today is the day that you say, I don't know about all the rest of it, but I'm going to trust in that. I'm going to put that little bit of faith I do have that Jesus came, as John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world, God, he, sent, he sent His only uh, Son that whoever believes in Him would not die, but would live forever. Maybe today is your day to bring that little mustard seed of faith. And maybe you've brought that mustard seed and your prayer today is, God, increase my faith. Go get planted somewhere. We can all probably think about somebody who's going through something. The darkness of life. Go get planted somewhere. Continue to point people towards hope. Continue to point people towards life. And know that your faith even as little as it is, can be used by God to do extraordinary things. Continue to put your faith into Him. Continue to trust in Him. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, not only is it true that We can't earn your love, but God, quite frankly, we haven't done a whole lot to deserve it either. A God that is fully good, a God that is fully love, would seek to reconcile and bring us back to Him. Doesn't make a lot of sense. And so God, I, I just pray and I ask today that you continue to use our faith to produce freedom in the lives of people around us. However big our faith is or however small our faith is. God, if we know we trust in you, but we don't know why we trust in you, God, you can use that. Holy Father, I pray and I ask that you guide our steps and our interactions this week. That our conversations be about life and peace and freedom, forgiveness, reconciliation, the things that the kingdom of God is all about. And that it stands out as a peculiarity in a world that's obsessed with death. Jesus, I love you. I ask that for each one of us in here today that you continue to make us more like you today than we were like you yesterday through the power of your Holy Spirit working in us, living in us, moving in us. And we'll give you the praise and the glory. Jesus' holy name, amen.